0: Awesome. Hey, well, I don't know how many of you had uh, apocalyptic smoke on your bingo card for 2020, but here we are uh, on this Sunday in September, so thanks so much for braving the weather uh, and being out here uh, uh, this morning. I heard on the news they said being outside for an hour is equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes, and so for some of you, you're smoking two an hour, and uh, anyways, uh, thanks for being here. God is on the throne, we're gonna be okay. Uh, And uh, he is working things out together for those who love him. And so we just believe that we serve a God who who is as faithful now as he's ever been, Uh, which means that he wrote the beginning of my story from the end of my story, and every season is literally marked by his faithfulness and his goodness. And so we believe together, we add our faith together in this environment, and we believe. That my God, who is able, will do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think or imagine. Friend, you don't want what you deserve. You want what Christ has earned on your behalf. Yeah, like sometimes as Christians, we get a little entitled. I just wish God would give me what I deserve. No, you deserve hell. <laughs> I deserve judgment. But what we have gotten through the shed blood of Jesus entered in through the torn veil of his flesh is eternal life that doesn't begin when I get to heaven, but begins right now in this moment when I confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. And so you're the right place at the right time. You could have been born in anywhere, but you were born in this season and you live in this region, which is proof positive of a couple of things. Number one, God's got a sense of humor. Number two, you got enough resource in your life, not just to make it through, but to thrive and develop and see the goodness of God. In the land of the living. David says it this way in the Old Testament. I was young and now I'm old, but God's people are never forsaken. The righteous never go hungry. And so we're just going to dare ourselves to believe that God is as good as the Bible says he is. And then build our lives off of an unshakable king and an unshakable kingdom. Our hope, our joy, our peace is not connected to the stock market, is not connected to political outcomes, is not connected to different sociological movements. Our hope, our peace, our joy is grounded and rooted in a place where moth and rust cannot destroy. And if you find yourself invested in any lesser thing in this season, the climate of the hour will expose the foundation of your life. And when the storms come, and they will, and they have, those who are built on the rock, it reveals that they are not shaken. If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter five, Mark five, I'm preaching part two of a two part sermon that I began last week, talking about principalities and powers in the region. I believe that we are engaged in spiritual conflict, whether or not we're aware of it. I think as a function of being in the West, oftentimes we take spiritual things and we reduce them to natural things. We've got a diagnosis for everything, an explanation for everything. We have become too enlightened for our own good and removed this supernatural element from our worldview. And there's a lot of other places around the world, many of those that I've, I've had the privilege of, of going to and ministering in and preaching in, and, 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 and their cultures have a greater appreciation for spiritual things. And sometimes in, in, in our part of the world, we say things like, well, why don't I see the miracles here that they see over there? Or why don't we see some of the things that we're hearing about around the world of God doing and miracles happening and supernatural signs of Why don't we see those here? And I think oftentimes it's because we've developed theological constructs that explain away everything that God's trying to do. And instead of letting God be God, we've replaced him with the wisdom of man. And we've called it intellectualism. And Fred, can I tell you, there is is nothing more important in this season to be an individual who is grounded and rooted on the word of God, dwelling in the house of God, inviting God's presence to do its best work in your life. In in, in Mark 5, Jesus is traveling to a region called the Gadarenes. And for those of you who may be familiar with this story, oftentimes it's referred to as Jesus' interaction with the demoniac at the Gadarenes. Jesus here is having an interaction with a regional spirit, and I think it helps reveal some important things that I want to communicate to you this morning about what it looks like to operate in the God-given authority that you have. I think the tragedy of our Christianity today is that we live so far below what Christ died to give us. And so, uh, you know, sometimes people think, well, you're preaching extreme Christianity. Fred, this is normal Christianity. If we can just get to normal Christianity, the world will change. And so for me, my conviction is to be a person who reads scripture, more importantly, allows scripture to read me, and then inform the way that I interact with the world Around me, I don't want to reach heaven and find out that I live below 80 or 90% of what Christ died to give me. You walk today in a supernatural authority that gives you the ability to be an agent of change in your sphere of influence. And the only question that you ought to ask yourself this morning is Am I using the authority that Christ died to give me? And Mark 5. The Bible records a story about an interaction that Jesus has, and I'm going to read part of it for you this morning, starting in verse 1 of Mark 5. The Bible says this, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasene, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit or a demonic spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. And a man lived in tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. In fact, no one watched, no one was strong enough to subdue him. I said this last week, let me say it again. When you walk in the spirit, you don't have to look for demons, they'll find you. Yeah. You know, when we bought this building two years ago, it had been empty for a number of years. Obviously, as many of you know, is a former J.C. Penney. JCPenney had a national restructuring, went bankrupt, and there was one store in all of Washington that became available at that time, and it happened to be this store right here. It wasn't for sale, it was for lease, but we contacted the owner, he agreed to a sales price, and not too many months later, we moved in and began a massive overhaul, remodel of this thing from top to bottom. In fact, you're sitting in a mostly finished, there's always some work being done, but a mostly finished building that about a year and a half ago didn't have bathrooms, didn't have hot water on the inside, was missing walls, missing insulation, all sorts of things. And it has been a miracle, an act of God to get this place suitable for our services today. But I remember I would have this interaction as I was working here in the remodel. We'd be having crews all day, all night, working around the clock, trying to get this thing up and ready to go. And And it happened about three or four times before I recognized what was happening, but I would go outside on a break, get some fresh air, and I would notice that there would be one or two individuals who had pulled up in a car, who were walking around this building and cursing the church. And I thought to myself, out of all the things that you could be upset about, a church taking over an abandoned building Drawing hundreds of new people into the city to spend money at restaurants, to populate parks, to buy houses, to be a part of the community. Out of all of the things that you could be outraged about in the world around us, this is what you choose to be upset about? And finally, about the third or fourth time it happened, it's like the Lord finally hit me over the head and said, Russell, you're dealing with a spirit. And all of a sudden, it clued me in to this idea that as the church advances... We're taking territory out of the kingdom of darkness, translating it into the kingdom of light. As a believer in this region, you are a part of a kingdom that is in conflict against the gates of hell. And Jesus, as he's talking about the church, says the church will be founded on the rock of revelation that Jesus is the son of God and the gates of hell will not prevail against the offensive advancement of the church which means we're not just here to hold a service. I'm not just here to do a food drive. I'm not just here to provide clothing at the clothing bank. I'm not against any of those things. But we can't reduce the level of spiritual warfare that God has called us to and just reduce it to a community cause. No, we're here to plunder hell and populate heaven. And that is putting every demon in hell on notice that there's a church that has found her voice and when this church gathers on Sunday morning I want the devil to shake at his boots I want him to be a little shook I want him to be a little scared those people know what it looks like to pull on heaven in such a way that what is happening above begins to happen below we are here in advancement doing the work of the kingdom and with everywhere the sole of our foot treads God has given us the authority in this region Demons are part of the fall. They have been disempowered by the cross, but they are still at work in the lives of people today through the principle of agreement. Oftentimes, I think when Christians think about demons, they have one of two extremes. The first extreme is that there are demons everywhere, and for some reason, they are always out to get me. Everything wrong in my life can be attributed to demonic activity. And frankly, I think oftentimes those people are dealing with a spirit. It's the spirit of stupid, not necessarily demonic, but they're individuals who've kind of developed a conspiracy theory that all of hell is solely focused on them having a bad day. There's demons everywhere. And then there's this other extreme. And that other extreme just looks at the world and sees a natural world with no spiritual components at all. And anytime there's a problem, you just got to try harder or use more strength or spend more money because really that's how the world operates. Can I challenge you to have a scriptural view of the interplay between the spiritual world and the physical world in our lives in this moment? In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, Paul tells the church, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul here is constructing a narrative helping the church understand the role of the spiritual world in their spiritual lives. What he's saying to them is, yes, the enemy has been disempowered, publicly embarrassed, and shamed by the cross. However, spiritual entities work through the principle of agreement, which is essentially this. What I will agree with in my spirit, I will release through my life. This is why it's so important you agree with what God says about who you are, where you're going, and what you ought to do. Because if you don't agree with him, eventually what you'll find yourself doing is agreeing with demonic forces that cause you to be pointed in the wrong direction. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2, do not be ignorant of the devil's I want you to see what's happening here in Mark 5. Jesus is walking into a region, the Gadarenes, that previously has not had a gospel witness before. And because of that, there is a battle for the region that's about to unfold. Friend, you cannot medicate a demon away. You cannot imprison a demon away. You cannot counsel a demon away. You can't negotiate a demon away. Watch what Jesus says, or Mark says of Jesus' interaction in Mark 5. It says, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Friend, let me tell you this this morning. The issue isn't strength. It's authority. No one was strong enough to subdue him. They already put him in the tombs. He was already breaking the chains. The Bible says he was taking the rocks and cutting himself and bleeding. He was already possessed. They already didn't know what to do with him. They already tried to lock him up best they could. And nobody had the strength to subdue him until Jesus shows up. That's why scripture says it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit alone. Sometimes we try to fight these battles in our own strength with our own wisdom, with our own resources. And we wonder why we leave whooped up more tired than we were before. And friend, can I tell you, you're not engaged in a physical conflict, but a spiritual one. In fact, Paul says it this way to the church, our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, where? In heavenly places. So you ought to have a heavenly worldview, a heavenly outlook on the world around you, else you'll find yourself engaged in a lot of fights that you end up losing because you don't recognize what you're actually opposing. It's a spirit. Now watch what the Bible says in Mark 3 and verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Watch, you could have the biggest muscles in the world, but when you get pulled over on the way home from the gym for speeding, the issue isn't who has more strength, the issue is who has more authority. See, I can gain strength through my knowledge of the word. I could gain strength through the development of theological ideas. I I could gain strength through an academic pursuit, but authority in God comes from intimacy with God and you either have it or you don't. And you can fake a lot of things, but you can't fake history with God. You can front on a lot of stuff, but either you've been with him or you haven't. (laughs) The Bible says this to the disciples, that they weren't eloquent in speech. But even those who were not believers recognized these men have been with God. And we've been a lot of other places, and we've been up in everybody else's business, and we've been online with all of our opinions, and we've been everywhere else but the presence of God. And friend, can I tell you, when you spend time with him, you don't even have to tell people, they just know. Oh man, them people been with God. Wow. Man, those people, they don't get it right all the time, but those people, they've been with God. It's not an issue of strength. It's an issue of authority. The Bible says this in Matthew 7 when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. You ever been in a conversation or a situation and all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks? I'm not dealing with a person, I'm dealing with a spirit. See, a spirit doesn't make any sense. It only exists to cause confusion and chaos and lawlessness. And what you need in your life to deal with those types of spirits is this type of authority. The the, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Bible says they were amazed. Not because Jesus had the best illustrations, But they were amazed when he simply unrolled the scroll and read out of the prophet Isaiah, because they said, no one speaks with this type of authority. And can I tell you, Fred, if there's one thing the church needs in this hour, maybe more than anything else, is an authority that comes from being with him. And if we'll have an authority it will give us a voice to speak into culture instead of just reacting to whatever culture does. See, for too long, the church has been the echo of culture instead of the voice into culture. And when we get our authority back, it gives us the ability to come up higher. I'm not speaking from an earthly place. I'm speaking from a heavenly place. Now I know you've got your opinions and your ideas and your positions and and all those types of things. But when you've got the voice and the authority of heaven, it shifts something in the region. We're not just going to preach into a vacuum and hope people listen. We're going to use our God-given authority to shift the narrative of the Northwest. I believe, and I hope you can too, that the Northwest ultimately will not be known as kind of this pagan place that's resistant to the gospel, but instead a hotbed of revival and reformation. But what it will take is the church to find her voice and her position once again. We got to be a voice of authority. Now, Watch what the scripture tells us here. Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, watch, will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. (laughs) Which means this, what I agree with on earth will be released in heaven. Okay, friend, what does a subtle agreement with the enemy look like in your life? I'm always going to be sick. I'm always gonna be broke. Nothing will ever change for me. I guess my family is just cursed. I guess my marriage is just cursed. I guess my finances will just never turn around. See, some of you have called it pessimism and it's actually spiritual agreement with regional principalities and powers. See, that's why scripture talks about confessing the good confession of faith. Why? Because what you confess with faith your tongue, remember the power of life and death is where? and the power of the tongue, in your tongue. And so what you confess with your mouth becomes the reality of your life. And sometimes Christians develop this over, overly negative worldview and they just come into subtle agreement with what the enemy says about their future. And then they walk into negative self-fulfilling prophecies and have the goal to get mad at God. And can I challenge you this morning? You gotta stir yourself to change your interior dialogue. Because if your interior dialogue looks like what the enemy says about your life, not only are you not walking in your authority, but you're coming into agreement with what hell says, not what heaven says. Do you know that you will get exactly what you have faith for? Jesus in Matthew 9 heals a blind man. The Bible says this. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. You know, when you recognize that you're dealing with the father of lies, you understand the need or the importance to continually confess the truth. I have to remind my flesh continually whose authority I'm under. I've got to remind my spirit continually whose authority I'm under. I'd love at the moment of salvation just to be able to confess once and be good for life. I think oftentimes when we think about confession in a religious context, we think about confessing to a priest in kind of a Catholic environment. But I want you to think about confession today as the prophetic things that you declare over your life and over your future. And you know, sometimes we say, well, if it was really a confession, we just say it once and it'd be all good. You ever forgive somebody and then have to keep reminding yourself that you've forgiven them because those old feelings like to come back? Can I tell you, man, the same thing works for your healing. The same thing works for your provision. The same thing works for your family. We confess the good confession of faith until what is true on the interior is manifest on the exterior. We're gonna confess the good confession of faith. My God will supply. My God will heal. My God will bring it all back. My God will work it out. My God will do this. My God will be as good as scripture says here. I might not see it today, but my confession is set on what scripture tells me should be the reality for my life. I'm gonna confess it inside until I see it outside. It's the good confession of faith. Now, watch what happens. The Bible says this, verse 5, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Night and day among the tombs he would cry out and cut himself with stones. See, I think we live in a region where people, whether they know it or not, are crying out for a church that has power. They may not know it, but I tell you what, They're looking for a people that has been with Jesus and that actually has power behind the things that they say. It's weird in kind of these demonic interactions, there's always a connection with blood or cutting. We saw it with the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament. As they're walking around hoping their God is going to answer by fire, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out, they're pleading. A few weeks ago, I was at a worship event in Seattle and Couple of churches gathered, a couple of people gathered, we're just worshiping in the streets, and I figure if they can do everything else in the streets, we can worship. And so we was worshiping in the streets. And I got a text on my phone. They said, Hey, there's some counter-protesters. People upset at worship. It just amazes me what people are outraged about in this season. They go mad at everything else, and now they're mad at people worshiping. The protesters will come. They want to protest the people worshiping. Okay. Well, anyways, we saw these protesters coming down the streets, and they was holding these bowls. Bowls. Just big old something you bought from Costco, a big old bowl of something. I couldn't see what it was. They had gloves on carrying these bowls. And what we found out later was that it was blood in the bowls. And four or five of them, they were coming as a sign to protest. They were going to try to dump blood on people who were worshiping. I want you to see something. In the demonic world, they're always trying to counterfeit what we know to be true in the kingdom. See, we are covered by his blood, empowered by his blood, forgiven by his blood. And But the enemy, that's why he loves to work through things like self-harm and suicide and cutting and the shedding of blood because it's a counterfeit trying to mock the authentic. And in verse 5, there's a man in the tombs. He's cutting himself, crying out day and night. Now watch what happens. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Now watch this. See the parallel between this passage of scripture and the passage I preached on last week, Acts 16, Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. Paul and Silas are walking into the city. A demoniac comes out to greet them and says the same language that this man says to Jesus in the tombs. He identifies them as being son of the most high God an individual with a demon correctly identifies a person walking under the authority of the father James 219 the bible says this even the demons believe and they tremble and watch what they call him jesus Son of the Most High God. Friend, when I'm engaged in spiritual conflict, what is most evident in my life is my God-given level of authority. I am recognized by who I am under. And in order for you to have authority over, you have to be submitted under. In fact, your level of submission determines your level of authority. Watch what David says in Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, he shall abide the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God and Him I will trust. Surely He'll deliver me. Surely He'll cover me with His feathers. I will not be afraid. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right, but it will not come near me. No evil will befall me. No plague will come near my dwelling. His angels will have charge over me. I'll tread on the lion and the cobra. I'll be delivered. He'll set me on high. I will call on Him. He will answer me with long life. He will satisfy me why because i am under the shadow and what i am under determines what i am over i am under his shadow so i am over this sickness i am under his authority which means i am over principalities and powers I am under the mighty hand of the Lord. And so he will promote me in due time. Come on, don't you see the interplay of scripture? What I am under, he has given me authority over. Right, what are we under today? Submission has become a dirty word because of its misuse in church, marriage, society, and other places. But godly submission is one of the most powerful weapons of your spiritual warfare. See, in the past... Authority might have been abused by people who need to feel as if they are in control of other people's lives, but to me, godly submission looks like a commitment to engage in spiritual community and not act as if you are above being challenged in your life. We got free agents today, not submitted anywhere, acting like they have authority everywhere, creating problems that they aren't willing to stick around and clean up. See, submission leads to authority, and authority leads to victory. And that's why Paul says, fight the good fight. And you know what a good fight is? It's one you win. A good fight is not one you lose. God doesn't hand out participation trophies. there's a little trophy. Glad you tried. Better luck next time. No, Paul says you are engaged in conflict. Therefore, fight the good fight. A good fight is one in which you win, but you don't win with your strength. You win with your authority. So I've got authority in this region, and so do you. And it manifests in the way that his kingdom comes to earth in our sphere of influence. When you don't Have authority it doesn't matter what else you have because it won't ever be enough let me give you a biblical picture of what it looks like to operate without authority Acts 19 and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left him and the evil spirits came out of them And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Watch what happens here in verse 8. Mark 5, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked, what is his name? The man responds, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Watch, and he begged Jesus again and again Not to send them out of the region. Watch. There was a legion in a region. Jesus is addressing an individual, but really, he is taking authority over a territory. Watch what's happening here in Mark 5. We'll go anywhere. Just don't make us leave this region. We'll do anything that you want. Just don't make us leave this region. And friend, I feel like sometimes in our faith, we are put to sleep by an enemy who allows us to operate on a leash. Gather on Sunday morning. You'll be all right. Just don't disrupt the region. Yeah, do your little Christian gathering, but just don't cancel any demons and just give me the region. Yeah, just do your little Christian thing week after week, service after service. But whatever you do, don't take territory in this region. And can I tell you, friend, that's not what I've signed up to do. I'm putting hell and every demon on notice. We're coming for the region. See, when you don't have heaven's authority, you'll operate off of his. Watch. Hey, yeah. And hey, you can serve the Lord in ministry, but your kids won't follow Jesus, Right? Uh, you can serve the Lord in ministry, but you're going to be broke your entire life, right? How you can do these types of things, but you know, there's going to be a cost. Enemy's going to come after you. All these things are going to happen. You can go after healing, but you're going to be sick all your life. Come on, friend, we don't believe that. We don't confess that. We're not going to receive that as every good and perfect gift that comes from the Father above the Father of light. In him there is no shadow of turning. We don't receive or believe those types of things. Because I'm not operating on the devil's mandate, but instead on the Father's. I think sometimes Christians believe, like, man, the enemy's going to work overtime just to kill me. Friend, I don't think the enemy has to kill you to make you not a threat. I think he just has to put you to sleep in comfortable Christianity. Oh, he don't have to blow out your candle. He just has to keep you contained. And that's why our prayer for this church and for these people is that God would set such a fire inside of us that the entire region would catch with revival and reformation. We cannot be contained. You want to play church, show up every eight weeks, tie 3%, that devil doesn't care. You want to sign up to plunder hell and populate heaven? All of a sudden, the kingdom of darkness begins to shake. Now watch what happens. I want you to notice something. They begged Jesus, do not send us out from this region. Why? Because they were on assignment in a locality and received their power from the agreement of people in that region. Friend, until you address the territorial strongman or the regional spirit, you won't have authority to conduct spiritual business. Jesus is greeted by a spirit and prior to doing the father's business, he exposes and takes authority over the region. Now watch what the Bible says of Jesus. Very interesting, Matthew 13 and he could not do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. If Jesus couldn't do many miracles in a region because of the spirit of unbelief, what happens when he finds a people who will agree on the priorities of heaven? Did you know that unbelief is a regional territorial spirit in the Northwest? that restricts and blinds people from receiving. In Hebrews 3 and verse 19, the author of Hebrews says this about the Hebrew children in the wilderness. So we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Regions and territories have spirits, and a spirit of unbelief kept an entire generation from entering their promised land. Watch. Watch. There was a generation of Israelites who would not agree with what God said about where they were going. So God in turn agreed about where they would be staying. And the wilderness represented a spirit of unbelief that kept them out of their rest. Fred, we're doing regional business here. And what I love about this interaction in Mark 5 is that Jesus is demonstrating both a concern for the one and a concern for the many. See, Jesus can't reach the many until he deals with the one. But Jesus, the good shepherd, is demonstrating a concern for both. And in doing so, unlocks a region for a gospel witness and all of a sudden the spiritual climate begins to shift over the gatherings it's so interesting with this smoke coming over the region and the Lord spoke to me on the way to church said even as this smoke and this fog looks like a lid on the northwest by my spirit I am blowing and we will see a spiritual lid come off of this region unbelief it bows its knee at the name of Jesus now watch let me end here let me end here when you get delivered but you fail to develop your house gets swept clean only in order for more spirits to come back Watch what Jesus says in Luke 11. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house that I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first is what Jesus says in Luke 11, meaning this, it's not enough for me to get delivered. I've got to get developed because if I get delivered, but I don't guard the house, then what happens is eventually I find myself seven times more afflicted than I was before. And here's the problem. See, some of us get delivered on Sunday, but we don't marry it to development on Monday, and then we wonder why we don't have victory in our lives. And friend, can I tell you today, I believe God by His Spirit is using Scripture to expose sometimes things that operate as deficiencies in our spiritual diet. God, deliver me. God, deliver me. God, deliver me. And He does. But then He invites you to development And unless you respond in these moments with a developmental spirituality, I promise you, you'll end up worse than you were before. But when a person gets developed, and a family gets developed, and an individual gets matured, and a group of people gets stirred up in the innermost, and all of a sudden what they find is their freedom Match to structural development in their spirituality, friend, that's when entire regions begin to shift. That's where entire families come into the kingdom in one moment. That's when entire key players, those who've got keys to ancient gates and old doors begin to resonate with the sound of heaven. That's when the business of the kingdom begins to be conducted by the church. So for us, come on, we believe God has given me authority to do more than just complain about the world around me. I'm gonna get delivered, and then I'm gonna get developed. And then I'm gonna see my household changed, my city changed, my community changed, and my region forever impacted by a Jesus who is worthy of all worship, all praise, and all adoration. Come on, would you stand all across this room? And I want to end praying for you, adding my faith to yours. I I believe God today is giving you keys to the kingdom. He's giving you keys of authority in your family. He's giving you keys of authority in your workplace. Come on, he's giving you keys of authority in your neighborhood. We're not just here to play church or to occupy space until Christ returns. Well, we're here to make a dent in the region. And that's why we're going after regional things. We're going after sickness. We're going after depression. We're going after unbelief. Because this wilderness is not where we're going to stay when God has given us a promised land in the northwest. And so we declare from Snohomish to Seattle, Jesus is Lord. We declare all up and down the west coast that the spiritual lid is coming. Off that the atmosphere is shifting, that what God is doing in this moment is gonna mark people for eternity, that the church is gonna find her voice, Christians are gonna find their authority, and we're gonna see a move of God like never before. Come on, Fred, would you raise your hands all across this place? Father, we pray your power and your fire into the heart of every believer gathered under the sound of my voice. And God, we ask for a stirring. We ask for a stirring in the deep places of who we are. God, we pray that in this moment, there would be a response to the invitation of heaven to rule and reign, to co-labor and co-heir with God in Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places. And God, we declare over this region, Stahomish will be saved. The Northwest will be impacted. The kingdom of heaven will come to earth. The church will arise. Christians will find their authority. And God, we say for your glory, for your kingdom, for your fame, for your advancement in Jesus' name. Come on, friend. Let's hit with a song this morning.